Welcome. Thanks for joining us today on the Venture Podcast. We hope this message encourages you and inspires you along your journey. Well, Ventures, we uh, continue on in this series in Acts in the second week of it. Go ahead and turn in your Bibles to Acts chapter one, Acts chapter one. Uh, If you wanna use one of the blue Bibles in front of you, it's page 1080. And in this, we're, we're looking at this interlude between Jesus' ascension, when he was taken up, we finished it with last week, and the coming of the Holy Spirit that we see in Acts chapter two. And in Acts chapter one, the rest of this time period, we've got about a 10 day period where the disciples are in a season of waiting. They're waiting on God to move, waiting on the promises of God. And I I don't know about you, um, I, I find myself, I'm not a patient enough person. I do not like waiting, especially at a stoplight, especially at a stoplight that's turned green and the person in front of me is still on their phone. Really struggle with that. But I I looked at uh, different studies about wait times in various cities. It was was interesting of, of cities around the wait time of how much of your time you spend in line, how much of your time you spend waiting for something. One person estimated that you spend three years of your life waiting. It sounds good, but I don't think it's actually accurate. It's one of those urban legends with it. But one of the stats with it, New Yorkers lead the nation in wait time in stores. On average, you wait six minutes and 51 seconds in any individual store time in New York. Miami second, six minutes, 44 seconds. The best is actually Cleveland, four minutes and 33 seconds, which would be great, except you have to live in Cleveland. So uh, no, I'm sure it's a lovely city, especially this time of year. Wait time for admissions in emergency rooms to be admitted into the hospital. District of Columbia, you have to wait 286 minutes on average. The next one is Delaware, 153 minutes. It drops down pretty much. California is about 150 minutes. Um, Unless you go to the emergency room I go to, I won't name names with it. Days you have to wait to see a specialist you're trying to get into. Portland's the worst on that. 45 days on average to see a specialist, a doctor. Uh, New York, 17 days, and Bay Area's even lower than that. TSA security lines, we love that, don't we? The worst airports are in Florida. It's interesting, Uh, the Miami airport's the worst, 24 minutes, 54 seconds on average in security. SFO's third worst though, 27 minutes, so plan accordingly if you're going to the airport. You go through all these lists and in each of these circumstances, I look at them and I go, yeah, I hate waiting there. Oh, there's nothing worse getting to the airport in the long line. Even worse than that is you get through the long line, you have only so much time before you have to board and you need coffee. And the coffee line in the airport's that much worse with it. And you realize I'm not gonna have coffee for this whole flight as well. I mean, all, all these inconveniences in life that we can kind of chalk up and we get impatience with. I, I tell you, I think, maybe the hardest waiting is when you're waiting on God. Because there's this part of it, you go, I know you're powerful enough to move. I believe you love me. And yet you can find yourself in seasons of waiting. And some of you are in one right now. 
You're waiting on God to move, whether it's in your marriage, you're waiting on God to move in your life or financially or your future. You're, you're ready to take that next step. You're in those early seasons of life. And, and, and you look to God. In fact, if you read in scripture, it's one of the most common themes. In fact, there's commands in it of wait on the Lord, the strength of waiting on God. And, and if we look in this passage, it's not a long season, but it's a pretty significant one. We look at the early church, we look at these apostles and it's striking to me, they're not only waiting, but they wait well. They don't waste this season of waiting. Because as you, as you read in scripture, one of the things you'll see about waiting on the Lord, it's never passive. You're never sitting around just, well, man, I hope God does something. And then when he does something, I'll respond to it. In fact, waiting on the Lord, that term has in it, there's this sense of expectation. There's this sense of leaning in. And one of the things we wanna do as we go through the book of Acts, we're not in the same circumstances as them, but we face similar issues and we want to learn from them how they approached it because it gives great application to our own lives. And so today, as we go through the rest of Acts 1, we wanna look, how did they wait well? And you're gonna see in it four things that stand out that they did. Look with me in the first part of it as we review just what Jesus told them. Remember Acts 1, right before he left, he said, you're gonna receive power when the Holy Spirit has come upon you. You will be my witnesses, Jerusalem, Judea, Samaria, and the end of the earth. This is the outline of the rest of the book. We're gonna see this unfold the rest of the book. Jesus, before he took off, he says to them, hey, it's coming. You're about to have power. You're about to be changed. The Holy Spirit's about to come upon you. They don't even have a concept for what that means. And when he comes, you're gonna have such power, you will be my witnesses. And then he's gone. And then they're waiting. This, that was 40 days after Jesus' crucifixion. And then they wait another 10 days to the day we call Pentecost, we'll look at next week. Now during this time, look at the first thing they did. They obeyed what Jesus had commanded them. One of the key things of waiting well is a season of obedience. If you go back to verse four, Jesus said, and while staying with them, he ordered them not to depart from Jerusalem, but to wait for the promise of the father, which he said, you heard from me. And he compares it to John's baptism and his baptism. The spirit's about to come. This first line of it, he says, hey, here's what I need you. I need you to go back to Jerusalem. Now, Jerusalem wasn't home for most of them. Matthew may have been from Jerusalem, as you know with the apostles, but that, they did not do most of their ministry in Jerusalem. They'd come there from time. Jerusalem was still a place where there was a lot of scrutiny, there was persecution, there, there was questions about them. There'd be a lot easier places to go and start ministry than Jerusalem. But, but Jesus said, no, don't go anywhere. My whole plan starts here. And if you look at it in verse 12, then they returned to Jerusalem from the Mount of, called Olivet, which is near Jerusalem, a Sabbath day journey away. Sabbath day journey was, was about a little over half a mile. They go straight from the Mount of Olives where Jesus ascended. They go back into the city and they go straight to Jerusalem. And, and it may seem like a minor point, but hear me on this. There's a simplicity about it, but they obeyed. They had clear instruction from God. He said, hey, this is what you need to do. This is where you need to wait. This is what I've called you to do. 
here. It's going to start here, whether you plan on it or not. And you see this immediate obedience that comes from them. As you look at this, and I would encourage you, sometimes when we're waiting on God and we don't know exactly what he's doing and we're looking to it, the clearest thing you can do in that season, you may not know what he's doing. You may not understand even what God's doing, but hear me, obey what he has called you to do. Spend that time to go, okay, I I may not know everything, but I'm gonna trust him with the instructions he has given. I I like the quote by Oswald Sanders. He says, never try to explain God until you've obeyed him. Sometimes we're quick to, I mean, I gotta explain God or I gotta understand before I obey. He says, no, that's the opposite way. The only bit of God we understand is the bit we've obeyed. And, And Jesus, remember what Jesus said? He said, those who love me, obey me. Now, don't get those reversed. Jesus is not teaching, oh man, you gotta obey enough so that you can be in the love of God, so you experience love of God. No, he says actually the opposite way. Because you know me, because you know I love you, because you've experienced that love, the more you love him, the more you actually realize, oh, I do wanna obey him. Not out of this, oh, I gotta grind it out duty. I obey him because in a love relationship, I recognize everything he commanded me is because he loved me. Everything God calls you to do is always grounded in his love. And some of those commands are hard. Some of those commands cut across your plans or your life or what you wanna do. But I promise you this, there's not one command that God gives us that is given just because he's trying to test us. It's given because he's trying to make sure we proved enough in that. No, the whole thing started in his love. And the more you experience his love and you trust that love, the more you realize, oh man, the best place to be, the best action I can do, even in a time of waiting when I don't understand all that he's doing, I can trust him and I can obey him. Some of you are in a season of waiting right now. You want God to move in that. It's a great time for you to step back and go, okay, is there any area of my life that I'm really not trusting him. I really am doing it my way. And I I want him to move and I want to see action, but I don't want to give up this. Sometimes you can stay stuck in that place because God knows how much this is hurting you. And he may have brought everything to a halt because he loves you so much. He wants you to deal with this and learn to trust him through that obedience. Look look at the second thing that they did. They were united and devoted in prayer. This is one of the key things during this whole time. They were united and devoted in prayer. Look, Acts 1, 13. And when they had entered, they went back into Jerusalem, they went up to the upper room where they were staying, Peter and John and James and Andrew and Philip and Thomas and Bartholomew, Matthew, James, the son of Alphaeus, Simon, the zealot, and, and Judas, the son of James. This isn't Judas Iscariot. He's taken his life at this point. All these with one accord were devoting themselves to prayer together with the women and Mary, the mother of Jesus and his brothers, his brother, James, his brother, Jude. In that they're all united together. We'd see in this passage, about 120 people in all. 
And the, the leaders have come together and in this, they placed a priority on praying together. They, they made it number one priority. And, and I would encourage you in a time of waiting, there's nothing you're gonna do that's more important than prayer. Of coming together in that time. He had promised that the Holy Spirit was gonna come. And, and notice as they're praying with this, they're not praying because man, we gotta pray or else God's not gonna do what he said he was gonna do. God's gonna do what he said he's gonna do. God's gonna pour out a spirit. The spirit wasn't poured out because they prayed so much they forced God's hand. God already had the plan in place. He's gonna do it. And they believed it so much, instead of going, well, he's gonna do it, let's just wait around for him to do it. They believed it so much, they said, hey, we better be praying. We better unite in this. Th this combination of God's movement and our prayers. And honestly, I don't know exactly how it works. I don't know how a sovereign God who has a plan, who's gonna accomplish what he does, how prayer actually engages in that other than I know that it changes us, other than I know that he listens to our prayers, other than I know that he says there's movement with prayer. And so we trust him in that and all of them were united in it. They didn't say, well, we'll just pray as the leaders over here. They said, no, we all need to be praying. They didn't just say, hey, you know what? The women, why don't y'all get together? A good thing for y'all to do is pray. Y'all be the prayer group. We're gonna be kind of the planning group and the strategizing group. No, they go, they go, we need all of us together in prayer. And I would say for us, prayer is how we prepare for what God has promised. Prayer is how we prepare for that. It's how we experience, especially when you wanna see the movement of the spirit in our lives. You know, the Holy Spirit, Jesus said, is like the wind. And, and the wind blows, and you can't manipulate or control when the wind blows. But I'll tell you this, you can't prepare for it. It's like being a sailing vessel. You're a sailing ship. And, and you're there, and man, you want to see the movement. You want to see the wind blow with it. You can't control the wind, but you know what you can do? You can put your sails up like you actually believe it's blowing. And in fact, if you don't have your sails up, the spirit can blow a lot, the wind can blow a lot, and you go nowhere. And I'm just telling you in your life, in your group, in a church especially, if you wanna see the spirit move and that movement actually produce movement in the people of God, which we're gonna see in Acts 2, this explosion with it, prayer is that way that you get the sail up. Prayer is that way that we prepare because we actually believe when he said, hey, I'm gonna move, I believe enough that I pray for it and I recognize it. In fact, if you look throughout church history, you'll see these movements of prayer that happen again and again. You see the church respond to that movement of prayer. You see it even in our time. I was reading one missiologist wrote this. He said, God is moving on our planet. He said, what does this look like? In Nepal, just 2,000 Christians were known in 1990. 10 years later, that number had grown to half a million. Cambodia claimed only 600 believers in 1990. There's close to 100,000 today and growing. In Korea during the 20th century, the country advanced, and this is amazing. And those of you who are Korean and you've watched this movement in your country, it went from being 2% Christian to 40% plus and growing out of that. 
East Africa, a great spiritual movement of God. In Uganda, HIV AIDS once claimed the lives of one third of the population. World Health Organization predicted the complete collapse of the Ugandan economy by the year 2000, but a revival came instead. And with that salvation of so many people, it changed the morals of the country. So AIDS is down to 5% in Uganda. So great a revival in one church alone, it went from seven in attendance to 2,000 two weeks later. Currently, that same church has a membership of about 22,000. Here's the thing that stood out in his writing with that. He said, in almost every quarter of the globe, Christianity is advancing, except for four primary areas, North America, Japan, Australia, and Western Europe. Guess what one of the common denominators is everywhere that Christianity is marching forward? Christians spend time together, praying together. Track what God is doing in Korea and China and India and East Africa, and you will find prayer meetings where the church came and prayed together. Church, I, I, I would encourage you, the heart of this church, the power of this church, we have a praying group within this church. We, we have people, we, we've got one group that meets three days a week on Zoom. And they meet for 30 minutes every morning and they come to pray. If you want information about that, then welcome anybody to come. And there's this consistent prayer for our church, consistent prayer for each other, consistent prayer for people. We have these nights of prayer. In fact, we'll have one coming up in the next month or two right here where we'll do a night of worship and prayer. And it's corporate prayer together. There's power in corporate prayer. And and I know for a lot of people, maybe you've never been to like a corporate prayer meeting or you feel awkward. I'll talk to some people and they go, "I I don't know how to pray out loud or I'm not good in those settings. There's no pressure that's placed on you that you gotta be this perfect prayer. But there is this, this expectation, this reality that God moves when his people pray. We saw it this last fall in the breakthrough campaign. As church leaders, we, we were praying for months, well over a year, just in leading up to the campaign. We had different groups that we're praying for. We had you that came out and we did 24 hours of prayer and we did the segments and then did the prayer walk on this campus. And we saw God move in people's hearts beyond our expectation. I promise you that. But hear me, the, the pledges and the raising of the money, as much as this is such a movement of God, we need prayer more now than we did then. Because it's one thing to go, man, we're raising funds. It's another thing to go, we actually believe that God's gonna change the hearts of the people around us. We actually believe he's gonna bring many people to Christ. People that he's brought from around the planet to our backyard right here. We actually believe he's gonna mobilize this church that all of us, we're the missionaries here. And that's why we're here and that's why we think. But that movement will never take place if we don't pray. And and so as we're still in this season of both preparing these resources on this campus, but even more preparing ourselves and our hearts, we need to pray. You look at the third thing that they did, they understood their circumstances according to what God had revealed. So they're trying to figure out where they are. They're trying to figure out what God's doing. And one of the key questions they had, and you can imagine as a group with these leaders in it, one of the key questions they had was, What happened to Judas? I mean, Judas is scary. For three years, he served with us side by side. And and by the way, they never doubted him during that time. 
Now, Jesus, through the power of the Holy Spirit, he was re- revealed and he knew, and, and he knew what was going on it and made reference to it, but they didn't know. Even the night when, when they're having the Last Supper and he says, hey, one of you is gonna betray me, and he serves Judas. They still didn't question Judas. Judas was the guy that kept the money. Judas was the guy they, they trusted the most in many ways. And they're looking at it and they're going, man, what happened with that? And so, so as you look at it, Peter interpreted Judas Iscariot's death in light of the scriptures. He goes, okay, we don't know everything with it, but let's go back and let's look in scripture with it. Look what he says. He says, in those days, Peter stood up among the brothers. The company of persons was about 120. And he said, brothers, the scripture had to be fulfilled which the Holy Spirit spoke beforehand by the mouth of David concerning Judas. Now, David never mentioned Judas by name. So part of it, he's going back in scripture and they recognized that so many of the Psalms, especially that David wrote were prophetic Psalms. If you start reading back through David's Psalms, you'll be amazed how many of them point to Jesus. How many of them speak to his death? How many of them are prophetic? And so they're looking back in this part of scripture and, and he said, Judas, who became a guide to those who arrested Jesus. And then he quotes one of these Psalms, for he was numbered among us and was allotted his share in this ministry. He continues on with it and he says, now Luke is now interjecting. He says, now this man acquired a field with the reward of his wickedness and falling headlong, he burst open in the middle and all his bowels gushed out. And it became known to all the inhabitants of Jerusalem so that the field was called in their own language, Akaldama, that is field of blood. And so Luke's given a little bit of the story around Judas, that Judas, remember, he got 30 pieces of silver and then he, he regrets, he regrets what he does. He goes back in and he, he throws the silver back to the chief priest and those who gave it to him. And then he went out and he hung himself. And, and between both Judas or Luke and Matthew's account with it, we, we get this picture, he hung himself and either the rope broke or he swung out on it and then came back and hit the hillside. Either way, it was with such force, then his body breaks open. It's a pretty gross, bloody scene out of it. And, and this piece of land that he had by his wickedness, and again, in one story, it's the priest who made the final purchase. In another, we, we see Judas did, it was purchased by him in it. So there's some combination. Some scholars think that Judas, remember it said that he had been stealing from the money box, that he, he may have been using that money. That's part of that wickedness. He'd been using that money all the time to purchase this piece of land. And that, that 30 pieces of silver would not be enough to do the fi- purchase, but it could be the final payment. And so the priest, as they did that in his name, because he was killed there and it was a cursed piece. In fact, that, that piece of property was known in Jerusalem. It was kind of a pauper's grave where they placed people that nobody else had claimed they, they were buried there. And, and the story of, of Judas, for them, they knew what was hap- had, had happened, but they're, they're wondering, man, what happened though? How, how did he do this? And we don't know at all. Sometimes I'll be asked by people that are almost afraid, like, man, if what happened to Judas, could that happen to me? I mean, he was close and he followed. Hear me, Judas didn't lose his salvation. He was never saved. Judas had an interest in Jesus, but not an allegiance. You know, it's interesting, if you read through the gospels, every time Judas refers to Jesus, he only calls him rabbi. He never calls him Lord. 
He calls him teacher, teacher. And I, I think part of it, Judas so had in his mind this kingdom that was gonna come and Jesus is supposed to set up this kingdom and he's gonna be the mighty ruler. And it may have been part of the reason, man, a great investment when he's about to do the kingdom, it'd be nice to have a little piece of land in Jerusalem. Nice to be there. I mean, he's got this whole plan in action that Satan used to woo his heart. Because while he, he, he's interested in Jesus and what he was doing, he hated it when Jesus' agenda didn't match his agenda. And, and even in the sadness, he was regretted what he had done, but he never repented, guys. There's a big difference between regret and repentance of going back and, and taking this betrayal and this failure to Jesus and experiencing it. And so as Peter's looking at it, he, he goes, hey, you know, there, there were 12 apostles, the 12 leaders, they saw it based on the 12 tribes. And as he's trying to figure this out, he goes, hey, let's go back in God's word. And so he makes these quotations. And so he quotes from it, Psalm 44, and he quotes Psalm 69, and he quotes Psalm 109. And, and what, what you see in it, he's like, okay, we don't understand all but let's go back into scripture and let it define it instead of us just doing a bunch of conjecture. And led through the Holy Spirit, because he was apostle, he was led in a prophetic way. He could make direct prophecy applications. And so I may not have that power, but I do have God's word. In fact, I got parts of God's word they didn't even have at this time. We have a New Testament that was written. And I would encourage you, and here's what I would say on it, the key point, while waiting on the promises of God, we find understanding through the word of God. We don't sit around in the promises of God and we go, man, I'm waiting for God to move. I wonder how he's gonna move. We do a bunch of conjecture. We talk to a bunch of people. We read everything else that's out there. Sometimes we'll chase everything and it's the best season in your life to just stop and go, okay, I may not know when God's gonna move. I may not even know what he's doing in all of this, but let me go back to his word and let my be reality be defined by what he has already claimed, what he's already done. That's why David said, your word is a lamp to my feet. It's a light to my path. Now you're sitting in darkness, you go, man, I don't know what to do. Go back to his word. What is his word telling you? Uh, Paul said it in Romans 12, he says, don't be conformed to the world. We're not shaped by it. Be transformed, this inside out work the Holy Spirit's doing by the renewal of your mind that you by testing may discern what the will of God is, what is good and acceptable and perfect. Part of what we do in these seasons is every day, how do I renew my mind with God's word? How do I let it flow across me? How do I let it change my thinking? Because the more God's word is invested in your life, when you come to those circumstances, you now have a greater discernment to actually know the will of God because you've already had this investment. Hear me, Peter didn't in the upper room pick up his scriptures for the first time and go, hey, I wonder if this Bible has anything to say. He, he was already a person who was saturated under the teaching of Jesus, under his reading. We're gonna see it in the next chapter. His first sermon after Pentecost as he's quoting God's word, as he's referring to it. This was an investment in his life. And I would encourage you, if you're in a time of waiting, Man, the combination of prayer and God's word 
is the best investment in your life. It's the best thing that you can turn to. And we don't do it because I have to do it. We don't do it because I'm gonna force God's hand. Man, if I just do this enough, he's gotta do that. No, we do this because I set sail. I'm prepared for the spirit. And I actually have this repository now of truth in my life. And through that truth, I have discernment and I have freedom. You know, Gordon McDonald tells a story. He, he went to Stony Brook School. It was a college prep school. When he was a senior, every senior had to take a Bible course taught by Dr. Gabelon. If you know, Dr. Gabelon was a famous Bible scholar, wrote commentaries with it. But that year when you were in the class with Dr. Gabelon, he required his students in order to pass, you had to memorize 300 verses. And anytime you'd be walking down the hall and he'd pull you aside, he'd go, hey, McDonald, come here. John 13, 34, now. And there was this expectation with it. I mean, it's kind of this old school. One of the passages they had to memorize the whole of was Psalm 46. And they had to know the whole scripture. And McDonald said he struggled with it, but he finally got to that place where you had that passage, God is a refuge and strength, a very present help in trouble. Therefore, we will not fear, though the earth be removed, though the mountains be carried into the midst of the sea. He said, I, I finally memorized it, I graduated. And over the years, that, that Psalm 46 would just come back to mind. The Lord is our help in time of trouble. A very present help. We, we don't have to be afraid. He, he said, I, I, would, I would go back to that. He said, it was 56 years later when I'm sitting in a doctor's office and he comes out and he says, hey, Gordon, you have a brain tumor. It's benign, but it's gonna be pretty delicate surgery and we have to remove it. He said, in that moment, the first thing that came to mind, Psalm 46. He said, in all the years I had shared that with other people, it was different now when it was bubbling up in my own life. He said these words, now that it was my turn, these verses surging through my mind, God is our refuge and strength, a very present help in trouble period. Though we will not fear, therefore, because the, even if the earth is removed. He said, when I was a teenager, a brilliant and godly man pumped my friends and me full of scripture. And now his effort is paying off. Thanks to Dr. Gabelon in Psalm 46, I may be concerned and cautious, but I'm not inclined to be fearful. I, I, I would encourage you, maybe you're in that season where you're waiting and you're looking, you want God to move, go back to his word. Go back to the truth that's there. Maybe you're in a season where life is good and you're going, I promise you, a season is in front of you. Sometimes it's 56 years later where you will need those words of truth embedded in your heart and your life. I, I would encourage you with that. While waiting, we find understanding through his word. As we look at the last thing they did, last thing, they organized in anticipation of God's movement. They organized they get together. So Peter said, hey, Judas, this is what's happened with it. We have an opening. There were 12. 
And they believed, hey, 12 leadership and the fulfillment of that. And so we look in this, he says, so one of the men who have accompanied us during this time that the Lord Jesus went in and out among us, beginning from the baptism of John until the day when he was taken up from us, one of these men must become with us a witness to his resurrection. He said, we're gonna be witnesses. We have this team of witnesses. And notice he ties the witness to someone who actually saw the whole thing. Someone who was around, they saw his earthly ministry and more than that, they saw his resurrection. Again, they recognize this unique responsibility they have. The rest of the planet to come, the rest of the people who never got to see this in person, they needed reliable witnesses. And, and so he says, with that, they put forward two. There was Joseph called Barsabbas, who was also called Justice, and Matthias. And, and they do something that's kind of strange for us. By casting lots, Matthias was chosen to replace Judas. They would do a thing, sometimes they'd put two tiles and mark them, put them in a bottle, and they'd cast lot that way, see which name fell out of it. Uh, and you, you read it here. And they prayed and they said, you Lord, you know the hearts of all, show which one of these two you have chosen to take the place in this ministry and apostleship from which Judas turned aside to go his own place. And they cast lots for them and the lot fell on Matthias and he was numbered with the 11 apostles. Now, this is kind of a strange process for us. And especially post the Holy Spirit coming, you never see this kind of way of God leading through it because now we have the spirit within us and he leads through it. But it was used in that time. I mean, Proverbs spoke to it. The lot is cast into the lap, but it's every decision is from the Lord. This this way of determining how God would move and how God would choose. And, and what you see in it, and here's all I want you to take away though. That God said he's about to move. God says he's about to pour out his spirit. God says he's about to do this thing. And they looked at it and said, hey, why don't we go ahead and organize and prepare and believe like he's actually going to do it? Why don't we get ready? They didn't sit around and go, we'll wait and see. And then when God does this, man, we'll, we'll get on top of this. I love this because what you look, by faith, we are diligent and dependent in anticipation of the movement of God. These two go in combination together, by the way. You'll, you'll hear people at times kind of put them at odds. Like it's dependence only. Man, we're just gonna wait. We'll wait on God. We'll look to God. We'll just be in a time of just waiting and waiting is just a total time of dependence. That is a key part of it. They pray, they're looking at God's word in that. Here's the flip side of it. Dependence goes hand in hand with diligence. And you will see this through this church as they are moving and they're going. In fact, I hope it doesn't get lost on you. The book is called Acts. They do stuff. The book's not called thoughts. <laughs> Sitting. It, it's a, a book where God is moving through his church. And what I love about this, they believed him enough. They said, let's get ready. Let's get in action. And I would encourage you just as, as you think about it in your life about God's moving some of you are waiting for God in it, but have you structured your life to actually believe that he could move through it? I mean, you're looking to God to move in your life spiritually. Have you structured your day that you set aside the time to actually pray and spend time in his word in preparation because you believe he moves through that? You want him to move in your marriage. 
Do you, do you actually structure it in a way that maybe you need life coaching or help or go to a marriage class or be part of a life group that strengthens it in that? You've structured your family in a way that you have a context for God to be able to move in your family. You've structured your finances. You need him to move in it. But if you structure it in a way that, that you're prepared when he does move, if you structured your life to have enough margin that if he calls you to invest and to be a missionary and build relationship with people, that you actually have enough margin in your life that you could step into that. Or do we keep it so busy all the time and okay, God, make me a missionary. Hope you move, that'll be great. Show me when you do it. Or do we believe it enough that we go, yeah, we're gonna act on this. And I'm telling you, this whole breakthrough campaign, all of it is based on this principle. We absolutely believe that when Jesus said he wanted to reach the ends of the earth and we looked up as a church leadership and we go, oh, the ends of the earth are here. And he wants to reach the ends of earth who've come to San Jose, the most diverse city in the US. And, and they are here and he wants to mobilize us as missionaries and he wants to move through it. And I'll tell you, I'll be with a lot of pastor gatherings sometimes and we pray and we look at it and you know, hey, we believe that revival can come to the bay. I absolutely believe it. You know what? We believe it so much, we're gonna act on it. We're gonna actually build bridges. We're gonna actually create environments on our campus. We actually put an event center because we think lost people will come to that event center. We'll actually launch a venture institute. We'll actually move with, it, with an app and we'll move in different ways. We'll actually train in a way that we actually believe that we're supposed to be missionaries. Why? Because we think it's in our power. Absolutely not. We don't have the power to change one person's life. But we actually believe when God called us to this and he placed the vision in front of us and he's brought the people from around the planet to us, we believe it enough that we go, yeah, let's move in dependence and the power of God. Sometimes I think we lose our dependence on God because we don't move into a place of faith that he would have to show up. And if he doesn't show up, it won't happen. And by God's power and by God's calling and by God's leading, we as a church have committed, we're moving. It may not be perfectly, if you read through this book, they get course correction in different ways. God can correct your course. But he does it when you're moving in dependence on him. And let me close out with four questions for you. You can see them in your notes there. If you're in this time of waiting, don't waste it. Don't waste a good wait. And through that, is there any area of your life where God has clearly commanded you, but you refuse to obey? Is there anything right now that you go, man, God, the Holy Spirit keeps bringing that back up again. Yeah, deal with it, take it to him. He loves to forgive you, but he also wants to protect you. Secondly, who are the people in your life that you pray with consistently? It's great to have personal prayer. Who's your prayer group? Who are the people that you consistently get? It's one of the reasons it's great to be in a life group. You develop those kind of relationships. One of the reasons it's great to be part of the prayer team or come to one of those prayer calls, come to a prayer night with it. Who in your life are you consistently praying with? Because the early church, they prayed together. And so instead of just commanding you to do that, here's what I'd ask you. Just ask yourself, who do I pray with? And go find those people. How are you letting his word penetrate and shape 
your thoughts in life? How are, you, how are you just letting yourself soak in it? How are you investing in a way so that one day if you come in to the doctor's office and they come back with a diagnosis that should scare you to death, you go, oh man, I've prepared. God has truth that speaks to this. And then the final thing, by faith, how are you preparing now for God to move in the future? How are you stepping out by faith? What is it he's called to do? And, and I think church and as Christians, sometimes we think we got to come up with perfect plans. We got to come up with perfect strategy. I got to be perfectly prepared. I got to know everything. Here's what I love about this church. I love about the early church in Acts. They just believed we have a perfect God. We've seen a perfect savior. He's about to pour out his spirit. So let's move. Let's act in his name. Let's see God change the planet, not because we are so perfect, but because he is. Let's pray together. Father, I, I just lift this up before you. I thank you that you are a God that moves. I thank you that you've moved in our church. I thank you that you show up again and again. And I also recognize God that you also call each of us to seasons where we have to wait on you again. Lord, I, I pray for those here. There's some who are waiting and they're facing illness. They're facing finances. They're facing relationship struggle. They're facing a child that their heart breaks for. Lord, I pray in this season of waiting, you'd reveal yourself all the more. You'd use it to refine in preparation for what you wanna do. Lord, I, th I thank you that we read these stories from the past. By faith, we believe the God who's acted in the past is acting today and you move through your church. And so we thank you and we pray these things in Christ's name, amen. We hope today's message encouraged you in your journey of faith. To keep up with the latest messages and what's happening, make sure to subscribe to this podcast and visit venture.cc.